I've had some really raw and real challenges come into the room. My philosophy is if a leader hands me a challenge, they've assumed we have sufficient trust. They've assumed we have sufficient safety. They've assumed that I'm going to be able to do something with that challenge. And so it's a pretty high bar when I'm going to say, whoa, wait a minute, that isn't a coaching challenge. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. J.R. Flatter here. And as always, I'm accompanied by my co-host, Lucas. Hello. Big day in the Flatter family. It's Declan's birthday. Yep. Fourth so I know there's celebrations going on in the Colombian Flatter's house, as we call them. So today, uh, Lucas, I wanted to jump into this idea. And I know this is a provocative word, and I mean it to be provocative. Abandoning your leader. You know, when is the right time to say this isn't working and uh, maybe we need to go our separate ways? So one of the things we learn early on in our coaching journey and one of the things we teach repeatedly in our coach training is, you know, those instances where you walk up to the edge of the border between coaching and something else. We talked about this in an earlier session not multiple sessions that we all know as coaches, we're not psychotherapists, we're not lawyers, we're not marriage counselors, but those things come into the coaching room quite frequently, those topics. And I've had some pretty raw and real challenges come into the room very, very quickly. And I'll probably tell a couple stories before we're done here, as I often do. And certainly people bring those raw and real challenges in that are beyond the pale of coaching, beyond the parameters of coaching. When you and I talk about the arc of a session or the arc of a relationship or even the arc of a practice, your coaching practice, we talk about what are those boundaries. And those boundaries are set up in many ways. They can be your niche or your niche, as our British and Australian friends say. Who are you focusing your practice on? And you could purposely market and and reach out to people that are in your niche. So that's one of the boundaries. But another boundary is where are those lines between therapy and legal marriage counseling? And what do we do when they come into the room? So that's what this session's all about. For me personally, and, and we teach, I think our core competencies tell us it's a pretty high bar to tell someone, you know, I think it's time to end our relationship. Or even pre-coaching when you're in the agreement phase as you're interviewing each other, gee, I don't know if I can coach this person or I don't know if I can coach this team or I don't know if I can coach this organization. And a lot of my understanding and the principle that I've applied to my own coaching practice and to 
the organizations that we engage with and coach in a B2B relationship, business to business, I think the competencies, the core values of coaching and the ethics of coaching all point towards that being a pretty high bar to say no. The core competencies, the ethics talk about equity, the core competencies and ethics talk about no biases. And if I truly live and breathe those, not only communicate them in our teaching, but then demonstrate them in our practice, I'm obligated to say yes to just about everyone. We're really curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, we always have approached the topic in the past as, you know, those situations where you get close to the line, but you find some way to kind of reconcile that either by suggesting that they reach out to an external source or I don't know what other things you've done when you get close to that. But personally, I haven't had that experience where it got to the point where, okay, now we should, you know, terminate our relationship. And so I guess I'm curious, when does it actually cross that line for you in your opinion? Yeah. Well, for me, it never has either. I've yet to turn anyone away and I've yet to terminate any relationship I've started. I've had people terminate on their side, either thought they had achieved everything they needed to achieve or just found that it wasn't of value to them any further and uh, walk away from the coaching relationship. But I've yet to say no, either pre or during, because I feel, again, going back to the core competency, the ethics, core values, of this profession that I have an obligation. If a leader brings a challenge to me as a coach, who's inclusive and creating equity to the best of my ability, I have an obligation to that leader. So that's pre coaching decision. I think what you're asking is during coaching, I use the same measures largely. I'll give you a real world examples coaching in a session. I do a lot of team coaching. We do, as you know, learn, see, and give, where we teach people about coaching. We show them live coaching. You and I just did this yesterday, unscripted. And then they coach one another. We break them down into groups of two or groups of three, and they coach one another. So they learn, see, and give. I've had some really raw and real challenges come into the room. And my philosophy is if a leader hands me a challenge, they've assumed we have sufficient trust. They've assumed we have sufficient safety. They've assumed that I'm going to be able to do something with that challenge. And so it's a pretty high bar when I'm going to say, whoa, wait a minute. That isn't a coaching challenge. So I'll give you a, a real world example. I'm coaching in a large forum maybe 60 strangers in the room. I always ask for a volunteer. Someone always raises their hand, asks, do you have a raw, real challenge? Yes. And so first sentence out of this person's mouth, my best friend just committed suicide and I was there and breaks down into a very emotional response. And now I'm in my period of silence, which we teach also. Listen actively think about what's the right coaching response 
what's the next powerful question I'm going to ask? And I made the decision that if it possible, I was going to coach this person. And so my immediate response is, well, obviously, given what everything I've described in the training that you just received, a lot of this challenge is beyond the scope of coaching. What other resources are available to you that you could reach out to? And he lists clergy, leadership of my organization. I know we have grief resources as well that are available to us. And so my next question is, what can I do to help ensure that you get access to those? Do you want, do you want to stop coaching? Do you want to go make those phone calls right now? Do you want to make those visits right now? And he said, no, I'd like to keep going. And so I kept coaching him. But I also, as part of my accountability as a coach, as you know, as a coach, one of our opportunities as a coach is to serve as an accountability partner. So I offered, can I go with you? Can I help you make the phone call? Is there anyone in the room right now that you could reach out to that could help you with those things? So even though it is a, a out, parts of this challenge are outside of the scope of coaching, I'm still able to continue coaching if the leader is able and willing to continue being coached. And so once we got those fundamental, obvious next steps out of the way, we went back into coaching and I'm looking at my coaching template. I'm looking at my core competencies. What would be the best use of our time together that we have today, given this challenge that you brought into the room? I got some feedback because we always do feedback on those sessions that, you know, how remote I was, how non-empathetic I was. But I made a recent assessment in my mind as a coach, as a leader, as a human being, that this leader had brought me this challenge and asked to be coached on it, asked to continue coaching. And so I was going to do the best of my ability to do exactly that. Yeah, I mean, in those circumstances, you've got this emotional, you know, something happening in the room that's very emotionally charged and and trying to be that kind of, okay, we're communicating about this. I'm coaching the leader, not the problem, you know? So I think like that approach is appropriate, like having a level mindset in those scenarios, because I mean, what is the alternative if you kind of also get emotional and then you're not able to, you know, talk them through it and in that coaching mindset way. So, I mean, maybe looking on the outside, it looks like, oh, how could, how could you not like, you know, feel that or something. But from the inside, it's like, maybe that's the most useful thing for that person in that scenario. Yeah. And, you know, to borrow a phrase from one of our members of our cohort, coaching in the wild, you're out there by yourself. You have, the core competencies you might have built yourself as we recommend your own coaching template, coaching approach template. I have one. I have a two page cheat sheet that I lay out in front of me and it's my informed uh, approach of how, and we talk a lot about the arc of a session, the arc of a relationship, how I'm going to approach each session and always enter with a blank chalkboard and an empty table. 
irrespective of what we may have talked about last time. And so I have that in front of me, ready to take this session wherever the leader might take me. And I'm by myself. You're by yourself. You make the best informed decision based on your knowledge, skills, abilities, experiences. But what I'd like to emphasize as loud and long as possible, they've given you that challenge. They know who you are. They know you're a coach and they know they're a leader being coached. And yet they've brought it into the room expecting that you're going to do something with it. I'll give you another uh, real world example. In the middle of an arc, so I usually coach across 12 sessions. That's what I recommend, a minimum of 12. It's four months or three months, four sessions a month. Gives you enough time to get to know each other, create some trust, really dig into some challenges, find some outcomes, oftentimes extend beyond that. So I'm in the middle of a, of a relationship with this particular person. And she brings into the room, out of the blue, never talked about this before. I've decided to leave my husband of 17 years. Okay. You know I'm not a marriage counselor, right? You know I'm a, I'm a leadership coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So obviously there are resources available to you that can, you know, lawyers and counselors and, and others if you're willing and able, let's keep this in the this, this scope of coaching and let's explore this decision that you've made with a lens of coaching on it. Not going to give you advice on what to do. Not going to recommend any lawyers to you. Uh, that's outside the scope. But again, she knows who I am. We've been together for five weeks, six weeks, had hour long sessions every time. Yet she brings that challenge into the room. And so I'm going to do something with it. She expects that I'm going to do something with it. And I'm not going to, to use that provocative word, I brought it to the beginning. I'm not going to abandon her. I'm going to coach her. So let's talk in theory a little bit. This is, hasn't ever happened, but immediately life-threatening challenges. We're going to stop, stop the session. A threat of harm to self, threat of harm to others. Obvious breaches of law. We coach you and I in a lot of sponsored relationships. And I define sponsored as the leader I'm coaching didn't hire me. Their organization hired me. That doesn't mean they're a voluntold. They could have volunteered to be coaching. But a lot of times we get voluntolds that their organization in a block says this group of people. Uh, I do not recommend uh, singling people out and saying this one person needs coaching because it's going to be obvious to them. and obvious to the organization. So blocks of people at a certain level, or maybe they're new leaders, leaders of leaders, they're in the C-suite, something identifies them, they show up at our door, sponsored. I love coaching and sponsored relationships. But in the agreement phase, as part of that agreement, we talk about you're in a sponsored relationship and I have an obligation to that sponsor. I've talked to them already, and they know you and I are going to discuss personal and professional. They know you might discover in the middle of our sessions, you want to change career paths. And I'm not going to stop coaching because that happens. But if you come in to a session and demonstrate malicious intent to the sponsor, we're probably going to have to talk about that. Am I going to violate confidentiality? Probably not without permission. Because if I do, the relationship's over, as it should be, right? I've broken trust and safety. I've violated our confidentiality. 
But only in the rarest of circumstances would that happen. And again, that's all in theory because I've never had that happen yet. Yeah. I mean, you think about that and in, in outside of that context too, if somebody is coming up with a plan to, to you know, hurt somebody, if it's not illegal, then then it's, you know, I don't know what it would be, but that malicious intent, like to harm or to even mess with another individual or organization, it's like that's outside of my ethics. So, okay, what do I do to like, reconcile that? And I think that would cross some lines for me personally. When I talk about malice against the organization, I wanted to point out very clearly, I don't mean you're talking smack about your boss or you're talking smack about the organization or you're talking smack about the core values or the ethics or whatever. Everybody does that, right? One of the oldest traditions in the world is to talk about your leadership and to talk about the inefficiencies of your organization. And that's not what I mean by malice toward the organization. What I mean is I'm going in tomorrow, I'm going to take a sledgehammer to the boss's desk or, or worse yet, I'm going to take a sledgehammer to the boss, you know, immediate stop, stop right there. That's the kind of malice I'm talking about, not kibitzing about, you know, the payroll system or the HR or you know, the boss's eccentricities. We all do that. Back to the, the morals and ethics. Um, you reminded me of that. Um, and thank you. So put my professor hat on for a second. There's a big difference between morals and ethics. Ethics belong to the organization. Uh, the M in morals, I always remember, belongs to me. The M is me. And when I'm in a coaching relationship, I'm deciding, again, in the agreement phase, as to whether or not I can work with you. And to be a bit provocative on purpose, I'm deciding whether or not I'm going to bake your cake. And so far, I've decided I can bake everybody's cake. My core values, the ethics, and my own morals say I have an obligation. Only in the most egregious example, and I couldn't even think, I wouldn't even want to say out loud to fence myself in, but I suspect there might be this egregious example of a clash of morals between me and a potential leader that I couldn't set aside and coach through. One of the things you and I talk about in our teaching, and I use it in my coaching, is the house of leadership. And we help people build their own house of leadership. And I say their own quite purposefully because it is theirs. It's their principles, their vision, their work family self, their boldness, their power, all of those characteristics that make up that house. I have my own, but when I'm coaching, I set those aside and I focus on the morals of the leader I'm coaching. If there's a clash between my morals and their morals as a professional coach, I'm going to do my absolute best to set those aside. Again, only in the most egregious. One of the ethics of coaching is to create equity. Everybody's treated equally and to be inclusive. If I truly am creating equity and being inclusive, your morals are yours. Mine are mine. They inform my actions and behaviors. Yours inform your actions and behaviors. I'm coaching you. If the leader's morals clash with the ethics of the organization they work for, I'm not going to violate confidentiality on that clash, that dissonance, because in many ways, it's a harmonic dissonance. In music, when two notes clash together and they still sound good, it's called harmonic dissonance. 
your morals can clash with the ethics of your organization. And it's a healthy thing. It's a good thing. If they clash too loudly in, in dissonance, you might have to vote with your feet. Or you might have to have conversations outside of the coaching that address those clashes. Who in the organization might you have a conversation with about these clashes of morals and ethics, your morals to the ethics of the organization? I'm not judging you. I'm just observing that they're not aligned. And what might you need to do about that? I can't imagine an egregious clash so strong that I would have to break confidentiality and abandon that leader that has brought that into the room because they trust me to do something coach-like with it. Yeah, I mean, we're thinking a lot about, you know, that edge of the boundary and how you kind of have to take a step back and and have an open mind in, in order to take on all these different types of clients. But then on the opposite side, you don't necessarily want to stop them from, you know, expressing their morals and ethics. But on the opposite side, it's like, if I have these morals that I would like to encourage, I'm also not going to do that, you know? So it's thinking about it that way. I'm not expressing my opinions and, oh, you should stay married versus you should get divorced. Or for me, I'm thinking ethically, like if somebody was talking about, I'm going to go to work, but I'm not actually going to do anything. And I'm just going to sit there all day. And like, at first I'm thinking, okay, I can't work with this person. But if I'm really being honest with myself, like I would want to coach them through that, you know, but I also don't necessarily want to say like, oh, you should work really hard at work when you're there, you know? Yeah, you bring up a good example. This just happened yesterday in class. We teach 5 p.m. Eastern, three days a week. So in class yesterday, this exact scenario came up. So as a, first and foremost, as a human being, your mind is going to judge them. So give yourself some grace. You've made a mistake in coaching when that, what we would call uh, Tara, that unconscious bias that leapt into your mind and said, whoa, this is in disagreement with what we believe. That's fine because that happens all the time. I'm absolutely convinced if we ever learn how to read minds, you're never going to have another marriage. You're not going to have friends. Families wouldn't be able to cohabitate because our mind says things that our mouth never would even dream of saying out loud. So it's fine to have those and give yourself some grace. Your coaching, you should not let that influence your coaching. Again, there might be this egregious example that you might have or that you might decide, wow, this is such a provocative clashing of, balance, of morals that I can no longer continue coaching this individual, I would ask you quite sincerely that that be a pretty high bar. And if you are going to identify it, you should probably have a more provocative agreement conversation. Like, hey, here are my boundaries. If you cross any one of these, we could probably list a dozen litmus tests that people have in their lives. As humans and as individuals, but not as coaches, right? If you believe this, then I can't talk to you. If you act this way, then I can't be around you. Okay, if you have those things in your life, you better be darn clear on them in the agreement phase. Because once you get into coaching and that trust and safety gets built, that's not the right time to present those. And you know, if you really dig into the core values and the ethics of coaching, you're violating those. You're being non-coach-like. What do they say about like principles or morals where 
they're not real until they're presented with some kind of test. So what we're talking about is all these scenarios where, you know, all the ethics and standards and practices that ICF encourages are actually put to their testing point. And yeah, a couple of thoughts on reporting requirements. So a lot of professions have reporting requirements. If you're a lawyer, if you're in law enforcement, if you're a clergy, if you're a doctor, if you're a therapist, you have if-then scenarios that are just crystal clear according to ethics of your profession. Those same reporting requirements are not found in coaching. Now, morally, you might feel obligated to report. Ethically, you might be bound to report. If you're in any of those professions, being a coach does not excuse you of those reporting requirements. You still are clergy. You still are a law enforcement person. You still are a therapist bound by the ethics of that profession. So as a coach, you don't have an obligation to report, but as whatever you might be other places in your life, you may or may not have those reporting requirements. I always like to bring into this conversation also Be vigilant to know when these boundaries are approaching, but also don't spend every minute of every session looking for them as the needle in the haystack. They may present themselves and certainly situations are going to come into the room that you have to say, well, let's pause for a minute and examine what you just brought into the room and explore whether or not we should continue coaching. That's going to happen. It does all the time. But that doesn't mean that that's that opportunity, that one, once in a lifetime, once in a profession, oh, we have to stop, stop. So be vigilant, but don't be paranoid. They say, don't look at the hazard on the side of the road, or you're going to start drifting towards it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Back in my days when I was younger and dumber, I used to ride bulls. And they always told us, if you look for a soft spot to land, you're going to find one. You're going to fall off. The same is true, I think. It's one of the ideals I have in my coaching is I don't look for a soft spot to land because I don't want to find one. I want to keep coaching. So let's just talk about some of the specifics. And I'm looking at an ICF page. If you look in the ICF website, you'll find this. What's the difference between coaching and therapy? And you and I always say therapy looks backward and heals. Coaching looks forward and grows. And that's the first line in, in this diagram that I'm looking at. Therapy supports healing. Coaching supports growth. So people ask all the time, how do you know when you have a coaching culture? How do you know when you have a coaching style of leadership? When you engage with someone or someone comes up to you and engages with you, is your first thought, how can I grow this person? If it's not, you might not have a coaching culture or coaching style of leadership. If your first instinct is to grow their leadership, uh, then you very well may have a coaching style of leadership. Therapy helps you work through trauma, helps you work through relationships, whereas coaching helps you to clarify and achieve goals. So when that uh, woman brought her decision to break up her 17-year marriage, the whys and the details of what led to it across those 17 years and that afternoon, that's the therapist's, that's the counselor's uh, challenge. Mine, if she and I are going to continue to coach, is Okay, what are the steps ahead? 
what about this is important to you? What are the objectives that you need to achieve as you go down this path? You and I talk about all the time, we can celebrate, but we should never affirm. And this particular person was quite animated and excited about the decision that she had made. I can assume it had been a long time coming. It wasn't a decision that was made easily, but none of that is relevant to my coaching. As I'm looking forward and helping her grow, I can celebrate with her if I choose to. She's celebrating, but I will not and should not affirm that she made the right decision. That's not coaching. And therapy focuses on the past, as we said. Coaching focuses on the future. So there are no exacts in coaching with regard to looking in the past and saying, is there anything in your history that might inform this decision as you move forward? But I try to avoid asking people to look back. What experiences have you had in your life that might inform the path forward? There are nuanced ways to ask similar questions and continue to look forward and not look back. Well, yeah. I mean, you think about like mental health in general, and a lot of times your mind will go towards, you know, these big ticket issues like depression and and things like that, or, you know, struggling with your identity or what have you. And it's like, we are in that realm, but it's not necessarily these people treat, if you're talking about therapists or psychiatrists, um, psychologists, they're treating um, these mental health related issues. And we're in the realm of mental health by having these conversations around self and and growth and things like that. But it's not that you have an ailment, you you need to be healed. You know, we're starting from the baseline of, you know, mentally healthy person in the realm of mental health to kind of move forward and grow. I'm glad you brought that up because that's really important. And I'm not going to assign it to any particular generation. There's been a transformation over time between what do we consider as health care? Ironically, coaching is now being included in the continuum of healthcare. We're not sure where it is just yet, to the right or left of what it, whatever, wherever it might end up. It might overlap, as I'm confident that it will. But certainly, millennials and Gen Zs and younger think of mental health the same way I, as a boomer or, or my generation, or maybe even uh, Gen X, would have thought about physical health. A lot of younger generation visit and engage with therapists the way I would have visited and engaged with a general practitioner, having an annual physical. Uh, at a certain age, you start getting certain tests, visiting a cardiologist, gastroenterologist, et cetera, et cetera, just as preventive care. So when I started coaching Gen Zs, which we do, and we educate Gen Zs in our training, and they would bring up mental health, like you described, the alarm bells would go off. Ooh, 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 time to stop coaching. This is mental. Uh, not so fast, right? Uh, there's a lot of room to coach with respect to mental health. There's a very healthy inclusion. It's been a really good conversation about, and again, I use the word abandoning provocatively because I want people to think long and hard about, you might find another way of describing that ending coaching relationship, terminating a coaching relationship. And we have one case study that we use. And I have a case study where I went off the rails. My coaching went off the rails many times, but this particular time I was putting my ethics over the ethics 
or my morality over the morality of the individualized coaching, it becomes quite obvious really fast that that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to guide them and nudge them to accept my morality in a certain instance, but I've yet to have to terminate any coaching relationship. I don't want to judge anyone who has, but we do have a case study of one of our coaches doing that quite legitimately over time after a lot of effort, a lot of consultation. It was a voluntold. It was a sponsored relationship. So it has happened and I'm sure it will happen again, but it's a rare outside the norm exception rather than a regular part of the practice. Closing thoughts. Just like the thought that, you know, the way that you're approaching terminating or abandoning a leader, the way that you're approaching those boundaries, it's it's the mindset that you're kind of going in from the beginning. So the more prepared you are to kind of go into difficult situations and difficult, like outside of your comfort, I think that you're going to be better equipped to not abandon people, you know, so how you do one thing is how you do everything. <laughs> yeah, right? That's a really good point. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>